Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Athletic HQ podcast. I'm your host, Andy, and today we are up to episode six. Massive, six episodes in. Very, very excited. And today's episode is going to be on all things protein. Um, as part of the nutritional step-by-step process that we're going through with this podcast, i like you guys to get a little bit more educated on the nuances about nutrition. We spoke a little bit about you know nutrition and meal planning in episode one, and Protein is a is a phrase that we hear a lot, uh, and it's something that is is you know simple in some ways, but also very complex to understand. And it's good for you guys to get a better understanding of the holistic view about protein, and exactly how to get it in your diet, and how much is relevant for you, and just maybe break some myths along the way surrounding this macronutrient. So you heard that word before, macronutrient. Protein is one of the major three: so proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. Now, protein is an essential macronutrient as we require this in our diet for optimal health. Now, we get protein in a variety of sources, whether it's animal-based, whether it's plant-based, but there is a few key differences between certain um, uh, proteins that it's worth mentioning. So the next phrases that we're going to learn is essential and non-essential amino acids. Now, it sounds a little bit funny, but all of our proteins are made up of these essential and non-essential amino acids. So our essential amino acids means that we need to get it from our diet. It's important that we consume it through our food because we don't produce it naturally. When you compare that to something like non-essential amino acids, we actually produce that in the body naturally and we we aren't forced to consume it through our food. So it's very important when we talk about optimal health that we're getting our essential amino acids within our diet. The reason why that's so important is because that teaches us um, a little bit about what's known as complete and incomplete proteins. So when we talk about protein sources and where you're getting it from, and we listen to these debates about protein sources, we're talking about this complete versus incomplete protein source. Complete protein sources refers to having all of the essential amino acids, the one that we need in our diet, available in adequate amounts within that food group which you can often find within animal products. When you compare that to incomplete proteins, it means that the, the protein source is deficient in at least one of those essential amino acids, sometimes more. And this is often found within plant-based products. So when you're talking about, um, say, a vegetarian client who's uh, wanting to get as much of the essential amino acids in their diet, it's important that they get a variety of sources and not just one, because often they are deficient in at least one of those essential amino acids. Whereas if you're an omnivore, if you like eating um, animal-based products, um, you can often get them quite easily. So it's important that you understand what those complete and incomplete proteins are, and just being aware that um, if you're getting it from plant sources, that you get multiple uh, varieties so that you can get that complete structure. So that's just to begin that understanding of uh, of protein and the way that we describe them. Now, proteins uh, contain something that's called nitrogen. Now, the reason why it's important to know that it contains nitrogen is we actually have what's known as a nitrogen balance within the body. Now, it sounds a bit unusual, but what we're talking about here is it's the turnover of protein within the body, the amount that we consume and the amount that we expend. So it's about making sure that we have adequate protein intake to support the breakdown that occurs when we move and and exercise and break down muscle tissue, etc. So you can imagine that when somebody is perhaps weight training regularly or looking to build lean muscle mass on their body to support their lifestyle and health, that they might need to have higher intake takes of protein to support that um, you know, f- uh, function of the body. So when we talk about nitrogen balance, we're talking about making sure that we're consuming adequate amounts of protein for what it is that we're burning. 
Um, an example of a negative nitrogen balance would be somebody who's, say, overtraining, so not getting enough protein intake to manage their recovery um, and muscle protein breakdown. Now, um, it's, it's important to understand why we need protein. Because we don't just need protein for building muscle tissue, which is, of course, one of the features. We use it for things like fluid balance, for immune health, um, for collagen production. We also use it for maintaining energy balance, so as a tool for people to help curb their um, you know, their intake if they're, they're trying to manage their weight, etc. So many important functions of protein. Um, and so I thought I'd discuss the requirements for general population. We're not even talking about um, the athletic or you know well-trained individual. We're talking about general um, population. And when we talk about the recommended nutritional intake, um, we're talking about basically the minimum amount to avoid deficiencies. So we're not talking about optimal health in this case, but the minimum um, from a study in 1935, the Williams study, was um, that we need uh, 0.8 grams of protein per kilo of body weight to avoid deficiency. Now, for many of my clients and for people that are uh, you know, seeking out health coaches, you're not just looking at avoiding deficiencies, you're looking at optimal health, so making sure that we don't have any of that muscle protein breakdown that we spoke about before. And so even the experts nowadays are saying that that is too low. The evidence is indicating a range of at least 1.2 to 1.6 grams of protein per kilo for, uh, for it being a more of an ideal target for achieving optimal health. So if you were to take your body weight and times it by 1.2, so if we had a 100 kilo individual and they were looking to eat the bottom range of that uh, ideal health rate, uh, healthy outcome for protein intake, we're looking at about 120 grams of protein a day. And so uh, if you're looking for that upper limit of you know optimal health for protein intake, then you can take your weight times by 1.6. That same 100 kilo individual, 160 grams of protein per day. So it's it's a good chance for you to reflect on thinking, how much protein am I getting in my diet in a day? And what are my sources? Am I getting it from complete sources or incomplete sources? What varieties of sources do I have in my diet? Um, am I at least achieving 1.2 grams per kilo? And if not, how's the ways that I can improve it without exceeding my you know energy balance and eating a lot of calories? So that's often... The issue is when clients are eating plant-based sources, they need to make sure that they're uh, managing their caloric intake as well as their protein. So uh, another thing about uh, protein intake is it gets more relevant as we get older. It's fantastic for people who are aging or for the older population because as we get older, the increase uh, we increase uh, muscle protein breakdown. Um, so you often require a larger dose of protein in order to achieve the same stimuli within the body. So it's a really important uh, tool that we use for clients. As we're getting older, it becomes a lot more relevant, especially as the risk of, of falls get greater and we have a higher risk of muscle protein breakdown. It becomes more and more relevant rather than it just being some bodybuilding supplement. Um, there's many ways that you can consume it. Like I said, your, your animal-based products or your plant-based products, but we just want to make sure that we're getting um, as much of the essential amino acids as we can. Um, when it comes to when is the best time to eat protein, I feel like this is a, a conversation for people who, who really like to understand the nuances a little bit more because ultimately, for, for the most part, clients just need to make sure they hit their daily targets rather than um, worrying so much about the time, particularly with different uh, 
backgrounds within work and family life. Um, we're not trying to add an additional stress by uh, forcing particular proteins at certain times. Generally speaking, having it across as many meals as possible is ideal. Um, and then if you're resistance training and want, you know, optimal results with, um, you know, building muscle tissue, then you might... Um, you might time it around your workouts a little bit more, but that's sort of another another step. So when it's best time to eat protein is is when it's most convenient for your lifestyle, at least in the short term and in the quantities that you um, enjoy and can manage. So there are a few myths around protein that I get asked, and and a lot of these studies that I'm going to share with you guys are actually from the Mac Nutrition University a course which I'm studying at the moment, and and Martin McDonald's has put together some fantastic. Um, case studies and and really good content around um, having science-backed information so you get a perspective on the whole picture rather than just one element. Um, the first one being uh, too much protein causes kidney failure so or, or issues for the kidneys for most part. People just assume that isn't um, uh, digesting too much protein going to be bad for my kidneys. So we've got to ask ourselves, where did this come from? Um, and this is because people who have a pre-existing chronic kidney disease, which is a very key part of that sentence, pre-existing chronic kidney disease, being put on a low-protein diet. So if you're not somebody who has a pre-existing uh, chronic kidney disease, it's not going to be a relevant move for you to reduce your protein intake necessarily. But the reason why this um, this concept has gained a lot of traction is because um, protein restriction is clinically proven as a treatment method for chronic kidney disease because it reduces the strain on the kidneys. So then... Uh, it, it makes it a little bit, it makes it seem like, okay, well, I don't want my kidneys impacted, so I should probably reduce my uh, protein intake as well. But there's research to refute it with random randomized controlled trials where there's been no, um, sh shown no impact of high protein diets on renal function in healthy individuals. So the, the conclusions were that there is no health risk of eating a high protein diet. And the high element is the, is the key component here because for most people, they're not even eating one gram to 1.5 grams um, within their diet. So they showed here that like, for an example, uh, in resistance trained men that consumed a high protein diet of 2.5 to 3.3 grams per kilo. So really high, really much higher than what, than we'd probably ever see recommended in, in general population. They did that for one year and there, there was no harmful effects on measures of blood lipids as well as liver or kidney function. And that's from a study from Antonio et al. in 2016. Um, and there's several other the studies to sort of uh, to to back the the notion that if you are a healthy individual with no pre-existing you know uh, chronic kidney disease, then increasing your protein um, even to high levels of protein is not going to have an impact on your kidneys, um, as opposed to just simply taking it from you know 0.8 grams up to 1.3, which isn't even considered a high protein intake. So um, the other things that I wanted to talk about with protein was uh, the general benefits that we see with clients, um, particularly that are embarking on a new um, fat loss journey. So a reason I say fat loss is because most people come in asking to lose weight, um, but often we try and correct that goal because we, when you ask them if they'd be happy to lose muscle, that is not the case. Even for people who aren't necessarily muscle bound, they, they're wanting to lose body fat. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to create an environment that is most conducive for you for uh, burning fat but maintaining as much muscle as possible so what we do is ensure there's some kind of caloric deficit through exercise and eating um, however the protein intake is adequate enough to support muscle retention and growth so that's why 
protein becomes you know increasingly more important for those that are doing a dieting phase etc and another key uh i guess benefit is its effect on satiety so how we feel when we're consuming it what it does to our mood and appetite so when people are consuming higher protein intakes they will generally have a better satiation they'll feel fuller for longer which is helpful for those who are trying to you know maintain you know good hunger levels throughout the day without often feeling like they're starving and etc whereas when they have things that are highly processed or um mostly carbohydrates they might not be as satiated as they would when they have protein so protein has a massive impact on that as well so it's increasingly relevant or more relevant i guess for those trying to go on that fat loss journey or trying to change body composition but as for all the men- uh things i was mentioning before it's also just important if you want to be a health-seeking individual who has a good quality of life and is making sure they're getting an adequate diet for optimal health. So I think this will hopefully steer it a little bit away from protein being a bodybuilding supplement and something that you use just if you want big muscles and more so being to improve quality of life and overall function. Um, and if you want any, if you have any questions regarding protein or if you want any help, um, regarding that type of uh, inclusion in your diet, please send it to info at athletichq.com.au. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook, um, Athletic HQ. And uh, yeah, as always, I hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast. Um, I hope you got a lot of new content around this macronutrient. You've got a few new ideas and some new words that you can understand when talking to your health coach or practitioner and start to use this in your diet and your nutrition protocol for the best results possible. So as always, thank you so much for listening. Any feedback or sharing of the content is greatly appreciated. We thank all of you guys for doing that and I can't wait to see you for the next episode.